This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And first of all, before we get into this episode's advice requests, I just wanted to say thank you so very much to all of you Unladies who heard my ask for help on the the last Ask Unladylike and joined the Unladylike Patreon. I appreciate your support so very much. And just wanted to say thank you before we dive in and before I bring in once again our returning special co-host intern Annalie is back hello hi thanks for having me oh thank you so much for being here um and you are on this episode for an installment of Ask Unladylike, where we tackle listeners' advice requests that Google could never. How do you think you are with I- advice giving, Annalie? Oh, okay. So I feel like I'm that friend who always has unsolicited advice. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I feel like all my friends are like, oh, we didn't ask for your opinion and you gave it to us. Um, So I'm very excited to do this. These are also my favorite Unladylike episodes because I feel like it's just like interesting to see like how other people like think through. Like a lot of these scenarios I think are things that like I have experienced or like I predict that I'm going to experience. Um, So I'm really excited to be here. I don't know how great I'm going to be, but... I've been thinking a lot on the questions that we got. Well, I I have to share with unladies that at Cornell, in this was, I think, in your undergrad, you wrote a column for the school newspaper called Womansplaining, which I love the name of that. And so I feel like that credential alone makes you (laughs) more than qualified to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of unsolicited advice through that column, but um, (laughs) I feel like I just talked about like basically just everything me and my friends were going through. And sometimes it's nice to hear it from someone who's going through it at the same time you are. So I'm excited to bring that perspective today. And on that note, actually, before we get into our advice requests, our new advice requests, I wanted to share a couple of listener voice memos sent in in response to our last Ask Unladylike, all about saying I love you and the milestone of it all. So here is what Unlady EC had to say. I am a Chicana, which is my mother's from Mexico, and I was born in the U.S. I'm also queer, and I'm also a Buddhist. And for in all of those communities, saying I love you isn't just a yes check mark. You have been accepted as a valuable person. It's our souls have found each other and we are creating a family together and community together. And I love you means something much deeper than just you've met my romantic performance criteria and you are now acceptable conditionally. And from the Chicana, Latina, Mexican experience, it's not totally unusual to be married to somebody and love them and to have a Sancho or a man on the side or a person on the side that you also love. And every relationship just takes it as it comes. 
I really appreciated that kind of cross-cultural reframing of I love you and also the way that she, you know, described the very Americanized, I think the way that she put it of like, you you meet my criteria. Oh my goodness. It's so funny because I was thinking almost exactly the way she was thinking the whole time I was listening to the episode because my family's Nigerian and like Nigerians just say I love you a lot. Like, I don't think there's that much pressure on it in the same way that I, I think it is for Americans. And the only time I've ever said I love you to a guy was like on accident because I just say love you as a goodbye or like to my mm-hmm. friends and stuff like that. Like his literal, his face like dropped. And I was like, oh, oh like yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I did not mean it like that. I like whatever. And we laughed and I was like, oh, it's just so funny. Like different cultures take it like in different ways. But I don't think that that's how like my family greets each other. That's like how all my friends do. Like I feel like it kind of re- related a bit to that story. It, it looks a little different. It was horrible. (laughs) It's like it's so loaded now at this point. And like, I love you has gotten so mangled that in situations like the one that you experienced, it's like, you didn't say, I want to marry you. You know, you just said love you. Yeah. (laughs) I think he took it like that. (laughs) He was like, oh my goodness. But yeah, no, I was like, oh, this is so funny. I'm not going to do that again. I was like 18. (laughs) It's like, high fives, high fives. (laughs) Okay, I have one other voice memo to share and also possibly some inspiration for a future Unladylike episode. Okay, here is our voice memo from Unlady Bree. I am someone who has chosen not to get married. I don't have any interest in getting married. And so I'm very clear about that and I don't hide it, but it does create challenges around the phrase, I love you, because I find myself holding back. I don't want the other person to feel like I'm sending mixed messages of you don't want to get married, but you love me. So where does that fall? The other thing that I run into about not wanting to get married is that uh, then they assume that I just want to be single for my whole life. And that's not true either. Um, So my world of dating is quite challenging as a result of all of this. Some of it because I'm in my own head, but other parts of it, are very real and are a result of things that have been said to me, all of those kinds of things. Anyway, have a wonderful day. It does reflect to me a persistent double standard of women who don't want to get married being side-eyed in a way that I I don't think that men are. Guys who don't necessarily want to get married, they're just bachelors having a good time. Whereas women who might not want to get married, it's like, what's wrong with her? Who's she mad at? You know? I have like quite a few friends who don't want to get married, which I feel like is maybe like a newer phenomenon. I don't know exactly, but a lot of my friends from college don't want to get married. And I feel like they kind of face that like with dating where they're like, well, like I like want someone to love and I want a long-term partner, but this is a condition. Like I, I don't want to get married. Um, and I feel like draw the line if you don't want to, like, that's important. As a married woman, <laughs> I, I get, I get that. 
Well, I could keep talking about I love you for a whole other episode, but we've got some other unladies who need our help. Annalie, are you ready to give some advice? Yes, I am so excited. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, so our first advice request comes from an unlady, Annalie. What would be a good name for this listener so we can anonymize her? Okay, I'm going to go with, is Emily a good name? Emily's a great name. Let's go. Let's go with Emily. All right. <laughs> would you like to read Emily's letter? Okay. I have a female cousin who will be 14 years old in May. We were really close when she was younger, but I have since had to move several states away for my job, and she's grown up faster than I could have imagined. I'm finding it hard to relate to her and talk to her now. She's had a rough childhood and was raised mostly by my grandmother. She's now living with my parents. She's been through a lot and is still struggling with a broken family, and now she's got hormones and teen peer pressure toppled into the mix. We've caught her with tobacco and pot, and it seems that she's getting way too exposed to adult content on the internet. I don't know how to help her through all this. I know she's at a critical stage where she really needs some guidance, but I can't get her to talk to me. I'll text her and she never responds and she refuses to add me on Snapchat, which I know is her main method of communication. What advice do you have for this 28-year-old on how to talk to her 14-year-old cousin? Oh, I mean, what an eternal question of how do you get how does anyone get through to a 14-year-old? I know. It's it's a kind of horrible. Like that line, the hormones and teen pressure and everything mixed. I was like, oh, God, that was not a great time. I think for most people, <laughs> this is a space where like you have to like bring yourself back to where you were at 14 and like think about like the hormones and think about the pressure and like your friends and all of that stuff. And like, I think that that's a space that's really tricky. And like, if you're coming at it as just like another parent to a person who's like having like all these adult authority figures, like kind of talking down to them, they're not going to listen to you and they're not going to want to relate to you. Yeah. And I'm also not surprised that she's not adding you on Snapchat either. Because she might rightfully sense that you want to be friends with her on Snapchat so that you can kind of keep an eye on what she's up to. Even if it is from a loving place, I could see how a 14-year-old who's going through it would be like, uh, uh, no. Yeah. Okay. So that was something that I was thinking about a lot because my mom was really scared about social media when I was a kid, but I was, I was on everything and she knew it. And that was just <laughs> what, what it was. So I was like, I got on Facebook when I was like 12. So I was already <laughs> on social media and she made a rule. Okay. This is one thing that I'm thinking about when we were talking about Emily. I think Emily is like a parent really like mm. quotation marks, a parent who wants to be a friend. Mm -hmm. And like, if you're going to be a parent, be a parent. If you want to be a friend, be a friend. And I think that like, they're like, they keep going in between kind of those boundaries. This is one thing my mom did, which might actually be kind of helpful is like my mom kept wanting to add me on social media. And I was like, absolutely not. And so she was like, okay, you're going to have to choose a few people that I really trust who you think are cool, but I trust who you should let add you. And she's like, that way I know that like, if you're doing something like absolutely crazy, like they'll tell me. And so those were like, 
older cousins that I was really close to who were like 21 and I was like they're really cool and like they're never gonna rat me out but like also I knew they were there so like Mm. that put a little pressure on me and I don't know if that's great advice she might hate you for that I was kind of cool with it (laughs) but I would say like if you're like really scared that like something like crazy might be going on on social media that might be a way to do it also I was also thinking my little brother doesn't have me on his like finsta like fake instagram Mm -hmm. um and so like yesterday my friend just like sent me something and i was like oh like whoever you sent me blocked me and they were like that's your brother (laughs) i was like oh yeah (laughs) i was like yeah we established that a long time ago he blocked me and i think that like sometimes like those like spaces or places you want to be with your friends and like you don't want like the person who like you kind of look up to like monitoring you and like making you feel uncomfortable um so those are my thoughts on the snapchat thing yeah and especially since this is a long distance relationship and Emily can't be there kind of day in, day out. And I hear her on saying that the cousin is not responding to text messages. My advice is to keep texting anyway and just show up consistently, kind of no strings attached, signaling to this cousin that you are a safe, non-judgmental adult, you know? And one thing that I know I would have really responded to when I was younger and, you know, let's be honest, still today, since this is a long-distance relationship, maybe send this cousin a little care package and maybe send along, I don't know, a a little book called Unladylike, a field guide to smashing the patriarchy and claiming your space. (laughs) Just be like, do with this book as you will. Um, Just things that, you know, not, I mean, yeah, sure. If you want to like send her a box of uh, feminist propaganda, I do fully endorse that. But, you know, anything to just kind of let her know that you're there and you think of her and you love her and want to be there for her. I think that's a great idea. I just like also was just thinking kind of like on that care package idea is I think they need something that they can relate to that isn't like this like feeling of I'm going to get punished Mm -hmm. by talking to you. Mm -hmm. Any little thing that you guys could do that like is maybe fun. Like I feel like I only turn to people any at the age of 14 and still now I only turn to people when I'm scared when like I know that like there's someone that I can trust and that I love and I care about. And that usually comes from being good in the positives, not just being upset in the negatives, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Let your cousin know that that she's loved and coming at it from a place of love and acceptance rather than kind of bracing concern of like she comes from a broken family She's been, she was living with my grandparents, now it's my parents. And like, you're seeing all of the understandable kind of red flags. And what I think that your cousin needs is, again, just a safe space to know that she's accepted and loved. Also, wouldn't it be cool if this cousin was secretly an unladylike listener? And she's like listening to this episode on a on a little s- secret smoke break <laughs> <laughs> and reaches out she's like you know what it's time to call the cousin back 
That's right. I'll text her back. Fine. Not adding her on Snapchat yet. Uh, Let's take a quick break and come back with question number two. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we're back. And for this next question, we're kind of turning the tables because in our last question, we have older Emily wanting to get through to her younger teen cousin. And now we have a teen who needs to get through to an adult, specifically her mom. Annalie, what's a good name for our teen letter writer? I think we go with Rebecca. Rebecca. Okay. (laughs) Rebecca writes, I'm close with my mom and we have a very open relationship. I feel like I can talk to her about basically anything, things other girls my age would never dare talk to their moms about. However, recently, I've been doing research on IUDs and have decided that it's something I want to seriously look into getting. I have no idea how to talk to my mom about this. I'm not having sex, no boyfriend either. However, I also do not plan on waiting until marriage. I haven't chosen to have sex yet because I haven't felt ready, but recently something has changed. I can actually see myself having and even wanting to have sex. That's not to say I'm going to run out and sleep with the first guy I see, but it's something that might happen in the nearish future, maybe. I want to get an IUD because I want to know I have the option to have sex without worrying about getting pregnant. I'll still use condoms, of course. Oh, goodness. Thank. I'm so glad that you said this, Rebecca. <laughs> Because of STDs and extra pregnancy prevention, even if I don't have sex for one, two, three, even four more years, it would give me a lot of peace of mind just knowing that the IUD is there doing its job. I guess, long story short, I wanted to talk to an adult woman who might be able to give me some impartial advice. I'd like to talk to my mom, but not sure how to start this conversation with her. Any advice? And our letter writer, Rebecca, is 16. I'm so impressed by her. This is like, this is incredible. She's so, I like, it's like all the research, like knows about IUDs, like knows to to wear condoms, is like thinking about like her relationship with her mom. I'm so impressed. 16-year-old me was like not thinking like this. 
So, okay. So I have a lot of thoughts. I have a really close relationship with my mom. So like I was one of those people, like my mom and I have a very TMI relationship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I tell her basically everything, like knows about my dates, like knows about like my friends, like knows very intimate personal details about my life. And that was like post-college and everything. And I think that like, I don't know your mom, but I think that like, she'd be happy tentatively to hear this from you as opposed to not hearing this from you especially if you guys have that close relationship Mm -hmm. and I think like the point and like I'm guessing Kristen and I will get into this is like if your mom doesn't react like positively you can always go and get that on your own but sometimes it's nice to just have that support and have someone like knowing because sometimes there's like kind of not great side effects that come along with birth control and having someone to kind of like talk through it who's like an adult who kind of understands is really helpful um I went to my birth control appointment like it was a few weeks before college with my mom and it was just nice to have someone to be like oh my god like I'm like cramping and like I don't feel good and like for her to be able to be like oh I know what's happening mm-hmm. I it sounds like given the relationship that you have and the trust that you have, in your relationship with your mom, she's probably going to be very receptive to this and also maybe kind of proud in the same way that Annalie and I are to see that you are thinking all of this through. I wish that I had <laughs> had that kind of self-awareness when I was 16, um, not to mention the the capability to even like talk to my mom about it. I actually didn't broach the conversation with my mom. She actually like just decided I was getting on birth control. She was just like, okay, get in the car. I think you should get birth control before you go to college. Like, let's do it. Um, I like that it started with get in the car. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like literally she had already booked the appointment and everything. And she was like, we can do whatever you want. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so I went and I, I get the depot shot. Um, like every few months. But there's a lot of like really positive side effects that I think like came alongside with it that didn't have anything to do with sex. And like, I got the shot way before I like ever needed it like for that space. And like you said, it's really nice to just know that you have it in like your backseat is like, hey, like I'm like protected because a lot of my friends, like the first time they had sex, um, they weren't protected. And then they were like, oh, wait, I need to run out and go get birth control. And that's like a scary experience that you don't want to have to have. Um, I think telling that to your mom is a great way to start. I think also like, I'm not, I'm not encouraging lying, but I had quite a few friends like kind of push getting birth control for like those other reasons that like, they were like, Hey, like this will actually help me in XYZ space. I don't get my period anymore. And like, it has made my life so much better. Like I haven't haven't had it for years. And like, that's like one thing where I'm like, I I, like, except for maybe having a child, I will never go off birth control because I I hate having my period. And like little stuff like that might be ways to be like, hey, like we could think about this outside of like me having sex because like that might be scary for your mom when you're 16. Absolutely. And I was one of those people who got a little crafty with presenting birth control to my mom. I grew up in a very much kind of purity culture household 
no premarital sex was the way I was supposed to go. Uh, for the record, I did not. Mom, if you're listening, you already know. <laughs> but the way that I brought it up, I think it might have been my the end of my senior year of high school. I was heading to college. I was going to live in a dorm and my kind of excuse in quotes to my mom for getting on birth control because I just took myself to I had a gynecologist by then and basically just like took myself to my gynecologist and was like hey I want to get on birth control because I want to have sex eventually what I told my mom was I'm get taking birth control because I'm going to be living in a dorm and I want to know when I will be having a period so that I'm not in a communal bathroom situation with a surprise. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Annalie, I don't know if she really bought it, but (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) She was like, it worked. Yeah, you got you got the answer you needed. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I also looked up parental consent laws when it comes to birth control access for minors? Because, I mean, the thing about this question is I think it is timelier than ever if Mm -hmm. you are a person with a uterus living in the United States. And I also looked up parental consent laws when it comes to birth control access for minors. And there is... No state law anywhere that blanket requires any minor to have parental consent. However, there are some states where only certain groups of minors are technically allowed to access contraceptives without parental consent. And those groups usually include like pregnant Minors um, and also minors who are deemed to be mature, which I'm guessing provides a lot of leeway for doctors to kind of prescribe at their discretion. However, I would recommend contacting either a Planned Parenthood clinic in your state, and if there are none, contacting the state health department and simply asking and going from there, there should be ways for you to access birth control regardless. But in this, in these times, I would exercise an abundance of caution if you are in an abortion hostile area or if you just don't trust the doctor maybe that your parent makes you go to, whatever the case might be. And be sure if you are looking this information up on the internet that you are not accidentally ending up at a quote-unquote crisis pregnancy center or anti-abortion clinic, which is why I suggest just going through a Planned Parenthood if possible. That way it's clear that if you're on the website, like, you know where you are, you know where the information is coming from. There's also a great organization called Advocates for Youth that explicitly focuses on youth activism around sexual health and reproductive rights. On Instagram, it's just at 
advocates for youth. So that could be a super helpful resource as well if you aren't really sure where to start. I would also just say for anyone who's a little bit older, um, thinking about going to college soon, um, if you're on your college insurance plan for most universities, um, which a lot of my friends went on birth control once we went to college, um, you can get on birth control and like charge it to like your parents' insurance or your university insurance without your parents knowing. Um, so if you just wanted to go to your campus clinic or something, a lot of times like you can just tell them and they'll like put it under like some other name. So they'll be like, oh, like you came in for like a medical visit and like make it very vague, um, which is like just helpful to know. I know a lot of friends who like when we went to school ended up doing that because they were kind of too scared to have that conversation with their parents. I do want to give a little bit of specific advice on starting the conversation with your mom. I would maybe go back first and listen to the Ask Unladylike episode, the dick pic talk. It's kind of role reversal, a question from a parent wanting to know how to talk to their kids about dick pics and sexting. And our guest on that episode had some advice that I think applies in this situation, too, which is to take a deep breath and maybe have the conversation when you two are in the car driving somewhere, or maybe you two go on a walk, like some kind of situation where y'all are having a little bit of one-on-one time. And, you know, given given the openness of your relationship with your mom, I think that you can maybe just start it off with, hey, I've been feeling like I am interested in birth control. I'm not sexually active, but I really want to be prepared. So I've been looking into different methods and I just wanted to talk to you about it to get us on the same page so that when I do start having sex, I feel as ready as I can be. Kind of signaling to your mom out of the gate that you're being as responsible as you can be, you know? And if she's freaked out by the idea of an IUD, this is when you could take the next step of going to a doctor together, talking to your nurse practitioner, getting kind of some medical expertise on your side to allay any of your mom's concerns about that particular method. And it's it could also be a good idea, too, for you to just kind of get walked through all of your options before deciding one way or another on the IUD. An IUD worked great for me, but also it's not for everybody. Rebecca, you're already killing it, though. One thing I think about, like, with these situations and, like, a last note, which I think you're doing great at, is, like, being better researched than less researched is always, like, gives you the upper hand. So, like, the fact that you're already, like, taking all these steps is so great, and I feel like that's going to set you up for a good conversation, hopefully. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
All right, we have one final question. Um, and I feel like in our progression with our advice questions this episode, you know, we've started from the kind of angsty early teen years to getting a little bit older. Rebecca's, you know, got her head on straight. And now, and now our, our fictional unlady, she's, she's gotten out of the teen years into the quote-unquote real world. <laughs> we got a question about careers. So I'll pick a name for our final unlady. Stacy. Okay. Could you share Stacy's email with us, Annalie? Yes. Okay. So Stacy says... I'm ready to make the jump into a career and have found myself paralyzed in making any entrance moves into a career that is both impactful and will allow for a fulfilling lifestyle. And I don't mean money necessarily. I have a master's in anthropology, ample work experience across a variety of sectors, and I'm really down to work hard, even when it's for something that's just a stepping stone towards a stable future. I've applied to around 40 jobs, seriously taking time to tailor each resume and cover letter, but haven't even made it to the interview stage except for in two positions. I'm struggling to figure out what I want to do, but in the meantime, it seems impossible to even begin the search for an entry-level job that could lead to something okay. Would it be possible for y'all to talk about what it takes to get into a labor market that is personally meaningful and how to navigate that process when you feel like you've lost hope? Perhaps you don't have the answer, but it's something that, that's that been looming on my mind, and I was really hoping that you might have some advice. I'm really wanting to do something that infuses storytelling with social and environmental change, kind of like y'all. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. Otherwise, I seriously love your podcast, and I'm looking forward to listening to new episodes for years to come. Even though I am in the in the thick of my career, I related to this question so hard. I have friends my age who are going through this in terms of career transitions. There have been a lot of layoffs recently. I think post-pandemic, people have been kind of reevaluating what they want to do with their lives, what feels meaningful. So, Stacy, first of all, I just want to validate how you are feeling because it is it is really tough and you are definitely not alone in trying to figure all of this out as someone who like i feel like i'm perpetually looking for a job because i like just go from school to school um <laughs> with like internships and stuff and now i'm looking for like my first real job i know exactly how you're feeling it's it's very hard to do so some advice right off the bat that I would give to you, Stacy, is to try to lower the stakes of this next job, whatever it's going to be. Lower the stakes for yourself a little bit because you're describing finding yourself paralyzed in making moves into a career that is both impactful and will allow for a fulfilling lifestyle. And the truth of the matter <laughs> is that there probably is not one job or one career necessarily that is going to magically check all of those boxes. And speaking from personal 
experience and something that I am continually checking in with myself on and working in therapy on is trying to get clear on separating my own sense of self-worth and fulfillment, detaching that or separating that, having some kind of distinction between the worth I feel in myself and the worth that I feel in what I do for a living. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it completely makes sense. I think like it's it's funny because like so I went straight from undergrad to grad school and I'm in grad school right now. So most of my friends they're in their first jobs. And I think the rush to get like a really nice job post grad is such a big deal. So like a lot of my friends were doing like interviews and like going through these really long processes which I did before I decided I wanted to go to grad school. And then a lot of them are getting, like, really let down by, like, their, like, quote-unquote, like, dream jobs. Like, they're just not fulfilling in the way that they wanted to or they're not making as much money as they wanted to. And I think that, like, a lot of that is just, like, finding your identity in your career. Kind of just to what you're saying is, like, it's it's really important to have an identity separate of your career, especially in creative spaces because I think that, like, social justice environmental, like, type jobs or jobs that your life is just so implicated by the work that you're doing. Yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. I do think that collectively a lot of us are kind of having this wake-up call in terms of, like... <laughs> Your employer is not your family, like capitalism is not going to like be the end all be all fulfillment of our hopes and dreams. And my advice in terms of what to even look for and go for is to kind of work backwards of like, if there are people in your space in the the social environmental sort of storytelling space that you follow and admire, see what they're doing and places that they have worked, ways that they have made things work for themselves, and maybe take a cue from that. And also, if it is something in a more creative field that you're drawn towards, the upside is that there are opportunities you can create for yourself. For instance, you can start a podcast, you can start a TikTok, you can't, you know what I mean? Like you don't necessarily have to wait for someone else to let you in. And even if it's not something that be blows up and becomes like your full-time job, that can give you the experiences and start building relationships that can lead you to something a little more substantial. I would also just say, like, if you're not ready to create something on your own right now, a lot of people just need help with stuff that they've already created. And I think that's how, like, I entered the door for most stuff. That's how I ended up here was literally <laughs> just, like, <laughs> truly just cold calling Kristen and being like, hey, like, I really love your podcast. Is there anything that I can do to help this term? Um, And I think that's how I got almost every position I've had in my life. Which I think, I know that's definitely unconventional, but I think that like, I mean, just like knowing like I want to be in the journalism space, a lot of those roles are honestly filled before they're posted. A lot of times people know someone or like have a friend or they're like, hey, like actually like we like have this idea of someone who didn't get a job before. So like we're thinking like maybe we'll push their resume. And so like 
I totally understand how you can apply to 40 things and not hear anything back. Like that's happening to all of my friends. (laughs) Like that is, you are not an anomaly. That's happening to me. Like a lot of times when I like throw out an email, you're like, yeah, like no one's ever getting back to me. And I I don't think it's because you're unqualified. I think there's just so many things that go in, but finding like personal ways to get involved in like the spaces you're interested in, I think are the best ways to do that is being like, Hey, like I just like want to learn from you. Like, is there anything that I can do? And like, by doing that, you're helping yourself and like also helping them. And like, you never know, like when like a situation, like I think of like other internships I've had in the past, like I worked for a man who's a retired congressman and I was just like, Hey, can I like do research for you? Can I help you? And then he like recommended me to another job, which is a job that I had that was really helpful. Um, And so I think like having those connections outside of like cold resumes, a lot of times like can really help you. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. And it, a lot of it really is about relationship building and patience. As unsatisfying yeah. of an answer as that might be, is like it, it can take some time. And that's also why I would encourage you to, to be a little gentle on yourself as well and know that, like Annalise said, like so many people are, in the same boat and it is easy to feel really hopeless about the whole thing but feeding your personal interests is going to kind of get you through this where it's like even if and even making like the the end goal of that not necessarily being like finding a job but just like if if what you are passionate about and what really stimulates you is environment, social justice, things along those lines, feeding that part of yourself regardless, I think will be helpful. And there's also no shame at all in if you need to pay the bills in taking a job that might feel totally unaligned with what you want to do eventually to just get you from point A to point B. That's totally okay too on that note too it's okay to like do multiple things like you can have a job that you're like wait I'm not that passionate about but like on the side I'm like creating my podcast or like writing my blog or like doing something that's like also helping and like moving you forward I think gives you like the space to kind of come back into like the careers that you're really passionate about I was also just thinking about like this idea, like, I feel like I kind of got from the email that you're not exactly 100% sure, like, what you want to do, like, in that space. And I think, like, taking all of these, like, kind of random opportunities that Kristen and I were talking about, and then, like, also just talking to as many people as you can is a great way to be like, hey, like, maybe this is a space I can narrow in on what I want to do. Because, like, in those creative spaces, like, you can do PR, and, like, also you could do social media, but, like, you could be doing research or like any other thing. Um, There's like lawyers in those spaces. Like it kind of like ranges from like so many different extremes. um, And that might be a great way to kind of narrow in. Yes. Yes. And, and I also want to just share from my own personal experience of kind of allowing myself to take a job to just pay the bills Last year, when Unladylike was on hiatus and I 
wasn't really sure what the future of the podcast was going to be and needed a beat to kind of figure out next steps, I took on freelance work as a copywriter and creatively it was wildly unfulfilling. I was writing copy (laughs) for a giant brand that I did not have to use much of my brain for at all. However, I'm glad that I did it, not only because, yes, it like kept me housed and fed in the interim, but also in the process of doing that work, it was a reminder to me of what I do want to be doing day to day, you know, which is not necessarily like making the quote unquote easier money, but it just made me even more excited and determined to make Unladylike happen. So as unglamorous, certainly as it was to be to be working on these these projects that I had like zero personal investment in, it was kind of a nice change of pace. And I still met lovely people doing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, Stacey, I hope that that helps. And unladies, I'm sure that there are many other Stacys in the same boat listening. And if y'all have any advice, please, I would love to hear all of it. Hello at unladylike.co is where you can send your emails or voice memos. Also, if you have any advice for our younger listeners, for Rebecca our teen interested in getting an IUD and Emily who wants to get through to her 14 year old cousin such relatable questions and ladies help us out hello at unladylike.co you can also DM me on Instagram at unladylike media Annalie thank you so much for being back on the show and helping me answer these questions you have excellent advice to give (laughs) of course thanks for having me Kristen as always if you want to support unladylike you can do so directly on patreon for five dollars a month or more you can join the unladylike patreon you get instant access to a ton of bonus episodes you get a new bonus episode every week uncut interviews with some of our featured guests and all of my gratitude. Patreon.com slash Unladylike Media is where you can go and subscribe. Unladylike Media is an independent production, executive produced, written, and hosted by me, Kristen Conger. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our illustrious intern is Annalie Anonye. Until next week. <laughs>